Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well-meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. Today, I am going to be talking about a little concept called Silk's Ring Theory. And after that, Aaron is going to be discussing those living amongst us who some call reply guys. Uh, after that, we've got a couple of tricks for your everyday life. I'm excited. I'm excited <laughs> to hear about rings and reply guys. All right. I think I'll start us you off put this them together week. and have like instead of fry guys from McDonald's, we got onion ring guys. Is that what you're going to be talking about? Yes. Okay. How we confuse these together. All right. Yeah, I'm definitely confused. All right. I'll start us <laughs> off. I need I need you to do me a favor and be a straight man for me. All right. And pretend like I don't talk about this concept all of the time. Okay. Because I know you're very familiar. So let me pitch you on a little idea called Dr. Silk's Ring Theory. Wait, what? This is the first I've literally oh heard of. Oh, my God. It. I can't wait to tell you about this. Oh, boy. So Dr. Silk, uh, Dr. Susan Silk, a clinical psychologist in 2013, wrote a piece for the LA Times and called it the ring theory. It's just, it's a lady doctor. I'm already skeptical. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so Dr. Silk's ring theory idea is that you comfort in and you dump out. So if you want to conceptualize this, imagine it as, you know, a bullseye or a a bunch of concentric circles moving outwards. At the center of this bullseye is the center of trauma in any given situation. So, you know, the ring theory you would apply to any kind of traumatic situation. And the more, you know, the more I think about it, the more it could be applied to any positive situation as well. Mm. But they call it the center of trauma. So imagine a trauma happens to you. You have been diagnosed with cancer or you just won a major award. So the next ring outside of you would be those people that are closest to you, your spouse, your siblings, your parents, the people that are just the closest to you. Sure. Outside of that would be your your friends, your coworkers, more distant relations, even the people that are your outer circles, inner circle. Mm. You know, the farther away they are from you, the farther out on the, in these rings, in this trauma that it relates to them. Okay. So the circles just keep getting bigger and bigger, the farther away they are from you. Now the concept is, is that you can dump out. You can tell me, how upset you are, you have cancer, how much it hurts, how much it sucks. You can cry about it, say, woe is me and curse God. That's fine. I can't do that back to you. Mm. I could do that to my outer circle, but I can only offer comfort in to you. And I can only dump out to those outer circles in this cascading effect. I understand how that intuitively works for like a... Something like a person that's un- that's going through an individual circumstance. Like, for example, they have cancer. They are literally at the center of the trauma. 
Um, how does this, uh, and the other thing I want to explore is like, how does this work for its success? Let's, let's, so, uh, cancer is no good, but I want a major award. How does that center of trauma or center of success work in that case? So in that situation, you've won this major award. I can't say to you, well, you could have done even better or someone else should have gotten it besides you. Or I or won. The, you I know, won. this award could be bigger. You yeah. know, anything or I, I'm something of an award winner myself. Exactly. I remember how I felt when I got my maybe exactly. more prestigious award. Or Exactly, because you're the center of that. Uh, I'm trying to think of a better word than trauma. Is this also because like because this also explains like the phenomenon of like I've, I've seen this happen online and I think in real life a couple of times too, where like someone's getting married and the older younger sister announces that she's pregnant at the at the wedding or proposes to someone at the other person's <laughs> wedding or like it's 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 not a, it's not a case of like dumping in or out. It's more of like stealing the light and the attention. Exactly. It's, I mean, a it is a case of dumping in and out. Mm. It's it's you trying to take away from someone else's center of what they're they're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to a wedding, then it's about that person's day. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't rip your dress on the way there and go to the bride and say. Ah, uh, what am I supposed to do? I can't dance. Mm-hmm. It's the bride's wedding. <laughs> that is not her problem in that moment. It's your right. best friend or it's someone outward in an outward circle. And, you know, if even if that person is your best friend, they are no longer you are no longer as the bride in their outer circle to dump. Yeah. And I think that like um, a lot of people don't think of it this way, which is explains why people do things like gauche things like proposing to someone at someone else's wedding or um the other thing I thought might be interesting to talk about, or I honestly don't know the answer to this question, is what do you do when there's like a shared center of, tra- of, of uh, um, trauma? For example, let's say that uh, you've got uh, your dad, your dad's died a couple of years ago. Your mom's been on a so you don't have to worry about spouse versus siblings, but you've got a couple of brothers and sisters and now your mom dies and it's been 10 years and all of the, you know, all of your brothers and sisters are kind of in the center of trauma. How does that work do you all just can I mean, only you can support course, each other and you can't be like well no, I, I think you can support each other you can say well you know dad has died it sucks mm-hmm. for me and you equally and then you dump out to your partners and I guess your you best can still, friends and yeah you can still like you can perfectly commiserate with someone if you're literally going through the same thing right i think then would be like a total neutral you can you couldn't feel more hurt or comfort each other in yeah. that moment so it's more like, and I know there's probably, you know, just to make sure people don't pedant me to death, there are limits and there's reasons to everything. But it sounds like one of the things is when you're at the center of the circle, there's kind of no rules. Like, you know, you can lose your shit or remain stoic or be closed off or be oh, like, right, what, it's, peop- it's not your emotional reaction and actions are not necessarily to be criticized. And again, within reason, mm-hmm. you know, clearly, if you start not taking care of your children and you start struggling with work or you slip into an, uh, uh, you know, some kind of addiction, then your friends and family can. No, this isn't a theory for that, exempting yeah. you from any kind of behavior. This is just a way to, you know, receive comfort and to express yourself in a healthy way. This is in no way excusing any behavior or actions or anything like that. This is just a, a way for you to understand when someone tells you something difficult or shares or trusts you enough to share something difficult, you want to make sure that you don't say or do the wrong thing in that moment because that person is clearly trusting you. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I've had plenty of times where I think back and, and I say, oh man, I, I, I thought I was making an attempt at relating to a person who was going through a difficult situation. But what I did was I just saw that as an excuse to share my own story. Yeah. And that's not great trying either. To you're, trying to empathize. Right. You're not trying to be harmful. You're not actively harming anyone, yeah. but you're not exactly being empathetic in that moment either. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, on a grand scale, this really works, but I, I've been trying to apply it to a lot of my everyday life and it helps me be a calmer, more empathetic person. Like a person cuts me off in traffic. That person's at the center of their own trauma. I didn't aggravate the situation Mm -hmm. it's a way for me to not get heated in that moment and get into a road rage incident Mm -hmm. or you know my food is late and cold at a restaurant it's not the server's fault Mm -hmm. that person is in an inner circle of trauma you know it's it's some it's a way that you can better relate to people i think and Mm -hmm. Thank Absolutely. you for making those mistakes because, like I said, people do, do it, I think, thoughtlessly or from a thoughtful perspective. Like, oh, their parent died. Well, my mom and dad died five years ago, and I know what that feels like, so I can share, and they'll feel like, you know, someone understands. But the reality is that's not, you know, and and, and if, if you're ever caught in like, well, what can I say? It's almost always okay to say, wow, that sounds hard or wow, that that really sucks or you know that's it's like it's it's incredibly brave or strong or whatever that you're doing that you don't have to relate things back to yourself or exactly you'll know that the person you know they use the term dump out for a reason i'm not looking for a sounding board i'm not looking for or i mean i'm looking for exactly a sounding board i'm not looking for someone to fix my issues i'm looking for someone to hear me mm-hmm. and a lot of the times when someone's going through a difficult situation, they just want to know that they can be heard by you, mm-hmm. not talked through it or related back to by you. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that'll save you. Maybe if you have this problem, then it'll save you from getting your own feelings hurt. If you're dumping in, in the wrong direction and that person's not being a good sounding board, maybe you'll understand why if you apply this concept. Yeah. I wonder, cause like, as other safe things to say is like, what do you need? You know, because maybe somebody wants to like, what do you think I should do? Or I'm very overwhelmed with something, something, you know, like um, and if I guess if it's I guess if it feels scary to do an open ended thing, like what do you need? Because a lot of people do that, too, which like, for example, they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry that this year you lost your father or whatever. Uh, If there's anything I can do, let me know. That's right. actually that's like, less specific than like it's say if your friend, your kids and their kids are really good friends, like would it, hey, could I take the kids for an evening to let you and your husband, you know, do stuff that you need to do or take care of some things or if you need me to watch the kids, I can or or, you know, that this woman with five kids husband just died. Probably bring our lasagna or pizza or something. Yeah, you offer, know, like, can you I kind of know I, what they need. Yeah, can I get you dinner tonight or mm-hmm. stuff? Uh, there's things that like you can volunteer specifically, and then they can either accept it or reject it. But a lot of times when people are grieving and you tell them anything, it's like it, first of all, it, it it reads as like a platitude mm-hmm. um, versus a specific call for action. You know, it's like you know when they say that like when someone's having a heart attack. 
uh, and you're in a crowd and you're going to start CPR, you should not be like, somebody call 911. You should pick someone out of the crowd and say, you call 911. Right. You know, it's I think that that's helpful, too. Like when you're you're giving a grieving person, you're not adding a list. You're not adding some kind of management to their plate. You're actually making a suggestion and they can take it or leave it. Mm hmm. I like this theory. You've like as you said, you've you've uh, been talking about it for years and it's really helped me appreciate when I've not been as helpful in the past as I wanted to be and avoid most importantly avoid being an uh, making an ass of myself in in the future with people. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, sh- Dr. Silk just posted this in 2013, so it's a fairly new concept that, you know, even I am kind of evolving in my own head applying it to the happy situations as well as well because that really does apply. Mhm. Uh, but thanks for thanks for hearing me out. <laughs> You're at the center of the topic trauma. <laughs> no, the listener is now. <laughs> Dump into our inbox at <laughs> yeah, uh, owt at swizzbull.com. Uh, my topic is something because I've I was on Twitter a long time ago, and then I got internet famous, and I got off of Twitter because because of all the nudes you posted. It's yeah, I had to I had to run from uh, my reputation. It's you know, it's uh, it, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. Um, and the way that Twitter works, where you just have 140 characters, or I guess 280 now, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, it encourages very short, pithy, dismissive responses to people. And as a result, there is been a lot of things I see people doing to each other that is not great. And... Um, this I first came across about six months ago. It's the nine types of reply guy. I want to talk about this just to do a setup. Um, so this is something that came out of like, um, especially women in STEM, but I don't think it's uniquely women versus men or men versus women problem. Cause I've seen reply girls or mm-hmm. gals, if you prefer reply gals. Um, and I've definitely been a type of this reply guy because some mm-hmm. of these things are rooted in like well-meaning behaviors. In fact, yeah, and it can be reply guys to guys. It can reply women yep, to women. Yep. Um, and a lot of times uh, it's it's a little different energy sometimes when it's a reply gal to a guy. But reply gals can reply just straight up like a reply guy to other gals. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different types. You've got uh, there's there's nine and they've arranged them into like a, a three by three grid. And you've got uh, it's kind of like reminds me of the Dungeons and Dragons alignment chart where you've got like lawful versus chaotic and (laughs) evil versus good. The leftmost guys on the reply guy chart are well-meaning individuals. The middle ones are focused on the quote unquote real problems. Uh, So their alignment would be neutral. And then the uh, third column are the ones that are actually kind of malicious um, either meaning to or unmeaning to these things are and, and I I thought because this is a big topic and I just kind of want to introduce it um, that I would confine myself to they mean well because these are the things that I myself have done uh, I think that when I look at across the Swizzbold one weird trick audience most of these guys I'm proud of you you're trying to do good you're trying to be uh, you're trying to be the Mr. Rogers out there in the world so I thought that would be more helpful if we just concentrate on the positive ones if you want to see all of the ones because uh, you've got uh, the nine ones are the life coach the the the, the ones we're going to talk about today is the life coach the cookie manster and the mansplainer <laughs> uh, in the neutral column you've got the tone police the empathy and the prestige and then on the uh, cruel column or the the non-meaning well, you've got the gaslighter, the sea lion, the trolls, creeps, and fools. 
I would uh, love for you to dive into all of these at some point. Well, we'll see. We'll see what people think. I, but I thought, you know, we'd do the ones that are more like cautionary tales or like, ooh, geez, I did that once and I feel bad about it. Um, in, in, in the same vein as your circle of trauma, like these are tools. This is a trick that can help you avoid be, uh, looking like an ass online. Um, so, again, I've seen women do this to men. I've seen women, definitely seen women do this to women. But the stereotype is a lot of men do this to men and th- or men do this to women. And this came out of like the STEM community. So, like a lot of these women were well internationally respected women in their fields. And when they would post stuff that's like a detailed, nuanced take on their field of expertise, you'd have, you know, guys in their responses with various things uh so let's start let's start with number one number one reply guys the life coach and example responses for them are like for example if a woman talks about being assaulted by a man i would have just shouted no and kicked his butt it's so easy uh another response could be well if you dress more like a scientist you know your fellow your male colleagues won't be tempted um or, well, now you know what a bad department or a mentor looks and acts like and what a great learning experience for you. It's going to be a real feather in your career to be able to avoid these situations. Uh, another one is choose your battles, tough it out, focus on the science and you'll be fine. Um, another one is, well, why didn't you speak out at the time it happened? If you're talking about something that might have happened four or five years ago. Uh, and finally, this is the one where maybe I've been guilty a little bit is you go, girl. The future's female. Good luck with that. And the way these things all cluster and the way they hit, uh, uh, especially when they come with frequency uh, and a, a particular volume at women um, or the person's at the center of the trauma is it comes across as victim blaming, uh, offering advice. Um, and we were just talking about in, in, in terms of the, the circle of trauma, uh, a lot of times people don't when they when they're talking about a problem, they're venting. Or they're saying this is a hard problem. There is no solutions or just think about the problem. They're not wanting advice. And this is kind of like extrapolated from that. And the core problem of all this is that you're demanding solutions from the victims. You know, um, certainly victims have input on how they can solve societal problems. But sometimes they're too raw. Sometimes uh, the the emotions are running deep. Uh, Sometimes they have an experience that you can't even relate to because you've never been in that situation. You know, like I very rarely have been f- fearful for my uh, my physical safety or my sexual safety. That's a you know fairly common experience for a woman to be in. Um, the warning. So each one has a has an AKA or also known as or alias. They all have the core problem, which is this demand solutions from victims. There's also a warning label for each one. And this one says you may also hear this from women because mm-hmm. I've certainly observed that women are some of the biggest holders uppers uh propers uppers of patriarchy and patriarchal problems um, especially women who may be a little bit older in the career and had to put up with a whole hell of a lot more you've got the same kind of like you see the reaction when people um they talk about giving amnesty to like um you know immigrants and like immigrants that did it the quote unquote right way get up in arms like why did i do all this and pay all this money and do this hoops if you're gonna let people in or like if you're talking about forgiving college debt why did i work and pay off my college debt to zero if you're just going to give it away mm-hmm. some of that is kind of like i worked and struggled and you should too uh, and that's where a lot of times that comes from that energy comes from women um let's talk about number four the cookie monster. <laughs> 
Certainly, certainly I have been a cookie manster, especially early in my career as a social justice warrior. Okay, what is this? Okay, so like this is a woman talking about her experience of harassment or trauma, um, or it could be a man talking about his a problem that they've experienced, like um, sharing, like how difficult it is to share their emotions with a peer group. And someone comes in and says, um, well, I haven't harassed any women to my knowledge. Where do, do I get a credit for that? This is the cookie manster. They want their cookie for like being a good one. Of the good ones, right. you know, uh, or not all men do bad things. My girlfriend says I'm amazing. Uh, <gasps> in a faculty meeting, someone made a sexist remark and I thought to myself, Ooh, that's so messed up. <laughs> Keyword thought to yourself. Um, or, Hey, you know, my industry gave a, uh, an award to a woman. Look how good we're doing. Um, some workplaces have problems with sexism, but all of my man, man mentees and employees are BFFs. Uh, hashtag cool boss. Uh, I consider myself pro woman. So how could my behavior ever be sexist or problem problematic? And finally, I'm interested in being an ally. Please someone give me permission. <laughs> this is also known as hashtag not all men. Hashtag I love women. Hashtag mommy, mommy, look at me. Um, <laughs> the problem is it's not all about you, buddy. Uh, this is a woman or a man talking about the problem they're having and you coming in and saying you would never do that or your environment would not produce, promote uh, or be conducive to that. Um, or something that you don't approve of doesn't do anything except for make the victim feel like maybe I'm complaining over nothing. Right. It makes maybe it this seem isn't like, a big issue. Yeah, that that's an instance that maybe you or your company is not guilty of, but mm -hmm. that kind of uh, self self congratulations tell me you're guilty of something else that you're not really cognizant of. Yeah, and it's it's tempting because a lot of times you see women post just horrific experiences, and you want to be like, oh my god, Jesus Christ, not all men are like that, or there are some good, but again right you might find that a way of comforting in but it's make, not and that's 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 make it's, it's uh, ultimately it's about more making yourself feel better about you know the role you play in society and your mm -hmm. sex's role um you know in a larger uh, in the larger society than it is about making the other person because what you're actually saying is well it sucks that that happened to you but like you know i didn't contribute to it so um, anyway, uh, the final one is the mansplainer. Um, and I have actually, I, I've certainly done this in my life online. Um, and I've also been, I think, falsely accused of it. So we can talk about that. So mansplainer, <laughs> like you've, you've, you've heard about this. Um, you've probably heard this, a mansplainer. Uh, this is like the mansplainer. Are you mansplaining mansplaining to me right a now? A mansplaining mansplaining to whatever audience is interested in it. Okay. Uh, they say, here's some example tweets. Ah, I see you're interested in X, person who has studied X for 20 years. I have researched it all morning and it's a lot more complex than you'd think. For instance, did you know dot dot dot? Um, I know you didn't technically ask for advice, but a woman stating a fact is de facto a cry for help. Your ideas were debunked years ago by a guy named, I, I think it was F something. Anyway, look it up. <laughs> I noticed you wear makeup. I thought you said you were a feminist. True feminist, you see, is going on for five more tweets about how wrong they are. Uh, there are many common misconceptions about what actually cons constitutes mansplaining. And I have something better than a degree in your field, a truly logical mind. Weep as I shatter your paradigms. Some of these are bigger versions of being an asshole than others. Mm -hmm. Um, the AKA is, well, actually, you're welcome. It is known. Um, the problem is that he, most of these guys are 
enthusiastic about something and maybe have an amateur level of, ex of experience in it or maybe have a personal expertise that doesn't reflect a wide technical grasp of it. Um, but they're not mostly bad guys. Um, but the problem is, again, especially when you're talking about person, uh, a person that's at a center of a trauma or someone that's got an expert in the field, um, experts can disagree. And the idea that you're going to be able to come in here again on a Twitter thread, something that's 144 or 140 characters at a time to explain something in, in detail is probably not going to work. Um, now, I think that. And I'm going to talk about like, a, a you know, the the titillating uh, how I was falsely accused of being a mansplainer. Um, I have observed there are some women that will use these archetypes to shut down conversations, I think, inappropriately. Um, for example, back in 2016, um, I was having a conversation with a female friend of mine and she was a Jill Stein advocate and I thought this is this was after the primary. So this is like Hillary versus Trump. I want to have a conversation with her about like the facts of electric because like, you know, she was saying stuff about like, well, you know, if you never try third party, it'll never work. And one of the facts in American politics is it's designed to be a two party system. It's like a map like it's one of these mathematical kind of game theory things that like if there ever is a like a third party that it, that uh, emerges in American politics, like when Republicans emerged back in the Civil War, society will rapidly iterate and that that new party will be either subsumed by one of the two major ones or it'll become the dominant one, overthrow the third one, which will then wither and die. And I was having a conversation. I got like three sentences into like explaining like this concept in terms of this video that I said I was going to recommend. Um, and she said, I don't need you to mansplain politics to me. And I was brought up short and I said, okay, I didn't know you felt that way. And I stopped the conversation because even though I thought that was a bullshit attempt um, to shut it down, there's no winning play from there from, from my perspective. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way I could be like, well, actually, I'm not mansplaining or, well, you're just a dumb woman or you're blah, blah, blah. Or you don't want to hear about how you're throwing your vote away or any of that stuff. It's like so again, I don't know. Right. Yeah, there's this rhetoric where you have these archetypes of reply guys and mm -hmm. you throw in people's faces to shut down conversations that you are losing sometimes. Yes. Or that you maybe don't want to hear. Maybe yes. you don't want to hear. And that doesn't need any qualification. Yeah. Uh. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't defend that conversation that you had with that, with that person at some point. But well, I have I have been a party to some people and mostly women because most of my friends are women mm -hmm. throwing that term around very, very loosely and generally mm -hmm. just to shut down those kinds of conversations to as a way to regain or try to hold some sort of power themselves yeah because there may be that that you know you may be in that situation where you do know more about politics for whatever reason mm -hmm. you had more access to resources to study this or you're more educated and that person's in a position where they didn't have those resources they don't have that knowledge at their fingertips so either you get to teach them something in a position of power that they're not willing to hear or yeah. they get to retake the power in that instance in that way. Yeah. But that's why, like, I think it's key that like, regardless of whether you think it's fair or not, if you get a reply guy thrown into you or you get mm -hmm. like a negative reaction, 
the thing to remember about Twitter is it's it's dumb and it's impersonal and it's like glib and superficial. And honestly, we should really stop talking about politics and a bunch of other stuff, especially in like a negative, starky way. Like, I think that uh, and that's what I'm trying to do as much as possible is try to be like informative and try to be positive. Um, and if you ever get in the conversation, even if it's amongst a friend or an acquaintance or whatever, and you get the idea that you start to become a reply guy, like, you know, if I find yourself mansplaining electoral politics <laughs> to somebody that wants to support the vote Jill Stein 2016 in the fucking state of Michigan, uh, Again, it just you, what do you want to do? Live up to stereotype? Even if you think they're wrong, the best thing is like, oh, you have made them. You've either made them feel legitimately threatened, or um, you've you've made them feel like you're trying to shut them down, or they're just retreating in some kind of grandiose gesture. There's no path forward. There's no victory to be had there. Right, and it's all there in the the title and the stereotype reply guy. Mm -hmm. You are a person that's taken someone's good faith argument or assertion and you are you're deciding that you're going to be the one that's going to correct them or you have some opinion that needs to happen in their conversation. It's their conversation that they were starting. So mm -hmm. it's not up to you to do any of that. Yeah. You can start your own conversation somewhere else. Mhm. Mm and you can take this to your friends and say, you know what, this person said a thing and I really want to argue the facts, but it's not up to you to do that to that person right, on right. Twitter. And this general uh, other Twitter kind of one weird tricks is like, I think a lot of problems on Twitter would be addressed if people would just refuse to pile on. Like if there is already 10 people in a person's reply telling them how wrong and stupid they are, do you need to be the 11th or 100th or 1,000th? I mean, I can see like on big popular figures, political figures, like maybe you're just trying to be heard in aggregate. But when you're talking about less famous people or just like Joe Blow or Jane Blows on the street, right. they that's uh, never going to be a, a positive experience for anybody. Yeah, this person said a thing. It went viral for right. 15 minutes of their life and it's not up to you to go in there and fix their life it's no it's a crazy thing to think <laughs> so that's uh, my weird tricks don't be a reply guy don't be don't be a reply gal because i've had versions of i think two of these from women talking to me like if uh, i was talking about an issue about men having trouble you know and they're like oh i'm so it's it's like you know it's so easy to or why don't you guys do this or it's like well because we're different and we have different problems we have different struggles right and i think that's where our two topics actually we don't plan these this far in advance and how they work together but i think this is how those two things can work together this time if you are on twitter and you feel like you're the type of person that has to have their opinion known you can apply this circle of trauma type of thing to a tweet. What mm -hmm. is this person going to learn? What is my goal with even replying? Do what I know I this person? The, do I value I their add opinion? to the conversation? Yeah. Do they value my opinion? Right. That's, you know, like it's like uh, someone, someone's wrong about Star Wars or someone's wrong about a particular issue. Do you, does it, is, is it the most important thing? Is this the best format to, to educate someone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, just yeah. something I've uh, something I've seen in my six months on Twitter, and I want to talk about it. And yeah. if people like, uh, if people want, I can talk about some of the neutral or more antagonistic ones. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely interested. Love to hear what I think these the are listeners the that, have to say, though. I think these are the things that, like you know, I've I've struggled with, and I've done just again in entirely well-meaning um, ways. But uh, it's it's stuff that. Uh, 
maybe I don't think about because I'm not a woman on the internet. I'm not an expert. I'm not a, a, a female expert that gets immediately discounted by ideas, but it's uh, certainly once you start uh, being aware of these stereotypes, you'll see them like any, f- f- any public figure opens their mouth. You will get half of the, you, you'll get, you'll get half of these reply guys types mm-hmm. in, in their mentions. And you just go through like, Oh yeah, that's the tone policer. That's the, that's the, the cookie monster. Uh-huh. Oh, there's a sea lion. Uh-huh. Um, it's fun. Well, we have some requests for weird tricks this week. A few people wrote in for advice. If you have requests for weird tricks or suggestions or advice that you'd like to solicit from us, you can email OWT at SwizzBold.com. Our first email is from DocP. I wasn't sure if my Reddit post was the best method of giving you feedback since I didn't hear this info on your last pod. Just copied and pasted this into email in case it's useful for any of your listeners. Yeah, I wanted to actually address this because I've seen some people be confused. Here's the how, and maybe you feel differently about it, but here's the way I see the various ways to interact with SwizzBold. The subreddit is where you want to go and talk about things with a community. Uh, our social media is where you want to go if you just want to chit chat or float an idea or just say something funny to no me. No replies. No, to me <laughs> or Cecily. And like we take it or leave it. But like it's not a guarantee that we'll even see it. It's not a guarantee that we'll talk about it on the show. If you want to have serious consideration for something on the show, use the emails because at the end of the day, when we're coming up with the outlines, we, we kind of have, you know, one source where this is the thing where we develop outlines and it's the email. So yeah, like Reddit is, you know, a lot of times we respond to comment to that um, and social media, same way, but the email is how the pipeline that feeds the actual show proper. All right. A Dr. P continues, just wanted to chime in with some ideas for finding a psychotherapist, but first it is important to clarify who exactly does psychotherapy. You can see a clinical social worker, clinical psychologist, mental health counselor, or a marriage and family therapist. If you're looking for help with drugs or alcohol, you may also seek help from a substance abuse counselor. These are titles in the USA that are licensed. Folks from other countries might have some more input here. Psychiatrists do not traditionally perform psychotherapy as they are medical doctors who primarily prescribe and monitor medications. As mentioned on the podcast, it is the therapeutic alliance that matters most. It doesn't matter which license they have. It is hardest to find a good therapist when you are limited in funds and or don't have health insurance. In cases like these, the town or city mental health centers are often the only options. But I have two other ideas that might pan out. First, do a quick Google search for counseling centers that are connected with local colleges or universities. Students who are doing their education training in mental health see patients at those centers and Fees are very reasonable. This is very similar to like what Help You Help person was talking about last week. But it's, it's nice to have uh, someone with a doctor in their title uh, verify that. Do you feel the validation, Help You Help person? Do you feel that validation flowing through the speakers? Uh, take a close look at your search results because you'll likely get hits for both the student counseling center, not for the public, and whatever psychological services center is sponsored by the college. Second, consider online counseling services like Talkspace or BetterHelp. You'll likely pay $60 or so per session, which may sound like a lot, but you don't have to do it on a weekly basis. Alternatively, you can, (laughs) or we can fix the damn system and then put everyone have access to therapy. That's what my vote is, literally. 
Um, and I, I appreciate the, you weighing in on this doc. You were actually one of the ones that I was thinking, like your Twitter profile, when I was saying maybe a professional could weigh in. Cause she's one of the good ones. Is that she, what you're saying? She's one of the good ones uh, to therapist explain therapy to us. Um, so I appreciate you, you, you uh, picking up the, the gauntlet. Um, I would love to hear from people that have had experience with this talk space or better help because I've heard a couple podcasts promote it and I've read some stuff online and it seems like it might be great, especially if you feel uncomfortable getting out of the house or like, you know, you're more of an introvert or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, but also like. I could see it being mixed results because you get a lot out of like emotional reading people in the room and, you know, uh, having that, that contact with people. So I I would, I would, if anyone's ever tried that, I'd love to to hear it, but yeah, I trust Dr. P's advice, but this is not an official, uh, sponsorship of Talkspace or BetterHelp. Those are just resources for you to try out, but we haven't done it. So, and it goes by to like, it's, it's always, it it seems like it's, it's always going to be rough if you don't have a lot of funds, uh, or you don't have health insurance, which is why, Another project, Three Right Turns, is trying to promote candidates and policies to to make mental health easier because it it shouldn't be this fucking hard to to get help. Um, it shouldn't it shouldn't be this hard. So I appreciate you weighing in there, Doc. Yeah. Let's move on to Scuba Steve. I'll start by saying that I consider myself a much more thoughtful person than a romantic person, and my wife seems fine with this. But I have an internal struggle from time to time where I want to show her how great I think she is. I just kind of suck at figuring out ways to do that. We have a high-energy two-year-old. We both work full-time and live in a fairly rural area, mostly devoid of nightlife. Translation, we don't really have date nights or anything close to that currently and haven't for some time. Do you have any weird tricks to show a little more affection towards each other than you would typically display on a daily basis? Thanks. Well, Scuba Steve, (laughs) let's see what Cecily has to say. I... (laughs) I made a mistake a while ago accusing my husband of not being a romantic person when I meant to imply that he was a more thoughtful person. And, you know, it's more... I'm I'm having a lot of fun watching her dig herself out of a five-year-old hole. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's a lot of what matters more. You know, when I, I made that statement, I was trying to compliment him and not, you know put him down in saying that you know romantic to me at the time that i said it meant more like a flashier display of affection and emotion like roses and chocolates and things like that that to me is cinematically romantic and that's not exactly what i was looking for you know being a more thoughtful person is i think a lot of what people in general want they want to know that you remember they said that they liked this card game and then you saw on the internet somewhere that someone was making a new edition of the card game what an amazing also romantic callback that is you know in a place where you have to make your own magic like i feel like sometimes we do because we don't go out that often either having just you know remembering inside jokes and making making your own inside jokes Mm -hmm. and having that kind of thoughtful romance goes a long way so, I don't know. Uh, you haven't given us much on what you actually do do instead of going out. If you like to, 
drink. Maybe there's like an interesting. I mean, they're saying they're they're in a rural area devoid of nightlife. So do you mm-hmm. want to go dancing or drinking or something? Then is there like an interesting wine bar that's opening up? That could be a fun thing to do or or give the get kid. a selection of things to do at home and get a babysitter that's not in your home. Yeah, or get drop the kid off at rain. the grandparents and go hit the big city. The yeah. big city. Stay for a weekend even. No, that's what I was saying. Like get some get a babysitter like your parents that where your 2-year-old can go stay somewhere else and then you have the house to yourself and you can make it whatever kind of nightclub you want it to be. <laughs> I will say, because I remember when you, you said that and it did kind of hurt my feelings because um, I guess I considered myself romantic, just maybe not in a stereotypical way. But I took it to heart and I started thinking about like what I could do. And my, my advice and this a lot of the advice I give is going to come from my stereotypical masculine point of view for intended for a person who is coupled up with a stereotypically feminine person. Now, you could be gay bros or lesbians and as long as <laughs> that dyna- yeah, as long as that dynamic is like you know one of them identifies as kind of like a masculine energy and one of them is a feminine i think this applies um i if, if you guys are more of like an asexual or the the sexual polarity isn't as pronounced and this stuff obviously isn't going to work and but i'd love to hear from people that are like asexual or non-binary or or have more of like uh uh androgynous spirits um a more equal kind of non-polarized what what do you guys do with this stuff but if you have a stereotype if you are stereotypically masculine and your partner stereotypically feminine um i think it's good advice to actively look for ways to delight your partner and I don't know how you delight your partner. Like maybe it's telling funny jokes or maybe it's singing funny songs or maybe it's buying flowers or chocolate. Um, I think there was one time when you printed out a bunch of little pieces, like one inch pieces of paper that said, I love you with your like secret, super secret pen mm-hmm, name mm-hmm. that we use. And you left them all over the house for me to find when you were gone for like a week long trip. That was a surprise way to delight me. Yeah. And I don't, like I said, that's part of the delight is to find out the things that do delight Uh because it's not going to, not everything's going to delight every, every partner. And if you notice that like you used to be able to delight them and they're not taking as much delight in Mm -hmm. the delight attempts, then I think it's good to like do a careful inventory of both of your lives and try to figure out what's changed. Like how is their workload? How is the work-life balance? How is the housework balance? Mm -hmm. Is their job really stressful right now? Are one of the kids struggling in school? Is there a big family event hosted or coming up that you have to host, you know, um, and see what you can do to kind of help lighten their load in that regard. Because, you know, if like the room's a mess, clean it up. If laundry's been piling up, do it. If you know they've been stressing because family's coming over a couple days early, maybe start cleaning a couple rooms so mm-hmm. that stress level goes down. Um, because the other thing that I recommend in these stereotypical masculine feminine relationships is to, it's kind of fun to play at like traditionally romantic ideal relationships. Like, like put it in the butt. <laughs> like um yeah like like uh if you're passing each other in a hallway like uh twirl her around grab her twirl her around give her a big hug and a kiss um make her feel like the princess and you're prince charming don't be like if you actually try to be that in all aspects of your life you end up locking her in the tallest tower uh, of the castle mm-hmm. and making her very sad but you know being goofy being funny being spontaneous um and i think there's uh couple ways guys fuck this advice up is they only do it when they're horny 
and they mm. want to it to lead to sex like the key is to be doing this constantly like whether you have sex later on the day or not like you know always be buttering the other partner up you know tell them they look sexy they look stunning um right you want to don't want to wrap their self-worth into whatever kind of affection that you can display yeah because like women can will, will will pick up if you only say that stuff when you want to get in their pants and they'll start to resent it women, they'll start to resent women are it smart sometimes they're smart and they can see through your bullshit um and the other thing is it can't be too serious it's like you know when you played soldier with your buddies it was all fun you played these roles but outside of the game you didn't like kill each other right or beat the shit out of each other so like it's sometimes fun to play like the the prince charming um and be gallant and and manly and masculine and it's sometimes like i i love it when like you have me i don't know open like a jar and I open it and you're like, oh, my hero. And you do like, I know you're not being super sincere, but you're also not being super insincere. I also know that if I was busy or out of the house, you'd go down to the basement and get pliers or run it under hot. T- you're resourceful. Right. You can you don't need it, but it's nice for me to. Right. And it's not dependent on whether or not you get sex later if you open the jar. Right. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, but uh, it's uh, th- th- just just try to find ways to have fun. Accentuate um, what you do love about that person. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is like, take care of yourself. Like, I'm not saying everyone has to have perfect bodies or but like if you found like maybe some of the love is gone and you're doing a lot of couch potato stuff and hanging around in sweatpants and T-shirts, um, maybe put on your nicest pair of jeans and a button up shirt um, when you're going to go out the house or um, I don't like that's the thing is you have to be aware of what the other partner finds attractive about right. you to know what to kind of accentuate and what games you should kind of play. Right. And in the reverse, you know, if you notice that a partner's trying these things, then even if you are not really into it or not feeling it at the time that they really are trying for you. So, yeah, you know. Give him some a little sex as a treat. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, that's regressive. That's, that's but you know, uh, just to compliment them and remind them that you do find them attractive and you love them, even if you're both yeah. wearing sweatpants every single day. I think that really helps. I think yeah, like women in general like to be praised and men especially because like the stark reality is us men go through life not getting told that we are handsome or smart or attractive or anything. Like most like. I, you know, I uh, outside of like relationships, I can probably count it for each year, like maybe on one hand, the times I've just been complimented by another man or a woman or something like that. It doesn't happen very often. So like we usually respond really well to be told and we're like handsome or smart or we look strong or, you know, I really like those new shoes, things like that. Right. I, I guess, which is why a lot of men think you should be grateful when they do it to you. Mm. Cause, yeah, because that's oh, the, other, the, the difference in experience. Like, right. you know, uh, the different velocity and pressure of the compliments is so imbalanced. And, you know, they're just think, right. thinking. Right. Yeah. Your average man, if he had multiple women a day telling them how attractive they were and how much they wanted yeah. to fuck him, it would be a different experience. Yeah. 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 For sure. All right. Well, I hope right. that, that helps there, Scuba Steve. Yeah. This next one is from Stressy Pants. I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time, and it seems like you both work long hours, go hiking, play video games, hang out with friends, stay informed about politics, raise a child, and more. My question is, how do you do all of that and still fit in the never-ending adult responsibilities like dishes and laundry and grocery shopping and cleaning the house? My weekends seem taken up by this kind of thing, and in addition, I seem to always have three or four things on a long-term to-do list that never gets any shorter because once I complete one thing, another thing pops up like a game of whack-a-mole. 
You know the kind of things I'm talking about. Getting your oil changed and filing your taxes and finding a new chiropractor. Even when I'm having fun or relaxing, I'm often stressed about what I'll have to do later on, and it cuts down on my ability to chill and enjoy the moment. Do you happen to have one weird trick for this? Man, this is a tough one because like this is the quintessential, how do you have it all? How this can... is the best compliment I've ever been given. <laughs> right, right. That we appear like so well put together and balanced. Um, so a couple things um, if you're trying to like figure out how we do things is you have to realize that we co-parent and that is a huge advantage that we're only responsible for our 13 year old kid half of the time. And that doesn't mean like, you know, cause like uh, on one of my off nights, I went to go see his band concert this week and I have to go to parent teacher conferences and uh, I t- call and talk to him. It's not like I just check out at the parent space, right. but like, like during swim season, it's we're going to see him every night in yeah. some capacity. Yeah. But, but it, it also like, you know, half the time you don't have a maniacal little gremlin sabotaging your <laughs> clean house and your organization. And, you know, you've got uh, you got a weekend that you're not going to have him where you could have some just couples time. And um, I think uh, like, honestly, I think a lot of people in traditional relationships would do well with parental relationships would do well to maybe find a better balance for like giving each other like, OK, hey, you know, you haven't had a weekend to yourself for a while. Go out and be with your friends or, you know what, I'm going to go see my girlfriends and I need you to take care of the kids or lean on your parents or lean on your brothers and sisters. And like if you all work together, you can have a little bit more time. But that's one key advantage we have. The other key advantage we have is that the three of us have very similar interests. So if we are spending time together, hiking, playing video games, talking about politics strangely enough it's something we like doing together Mm -hmm. so we'll play board games we'll play video games but the thing is is we're not doing things to completion we're not playing stardew valley for 160 hours because you're right we don't have time for all those things Mm -hmm. we're playing a game together here or there because we're watching a movie that we want to catch up on or we're going to a museum but the museum visits are a couple of times a year. You know, you can't do all of the things all of the time. Yeah. And I, there's, I would try to find out the person that had this theory and I couldn't find it because it's how do you search for this thing? But she had uh, this theory on plates where that like having a family and a career and a personal life and a romantic life is like spinning a whole bunch of plates. But the thing is that people don't realize is the plates are not all the same. Like some of these plates are porcelain. Some of these plates are like plastic Frisbees that just, you know, like it's, it's not as important. You need to keep them spinning. It's nice to keep them spinning. So things and but a lot of people also make the mistake because she clarified this later as thinking that like your kids and your spouse are universally porcelain plates because some of the things are like if they have a health problem, that's a plate that needs to be kept spinning all hands on deck. We need to support this person. Um, but like is going to every one of your kids practices, every one of their games, every one of their concerts. Is that a porcelain plate or would they understand that like, you know, mom got busy uh, uh, and, and I wasn't able to give the it's like she makes most of them. She makes an effort. She takes an interest. That's about the, you know, like that's maybe more of a Frisbee type plate. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the status kind of changes like, you know, maybe you're going to go for a master's of business degree. You're going to go back to school for two years to to better your career and better the whole family. 
then all the family, you know, now suddenly you're one of those porcelain plates that you've got to, you know, and you got to make your classes, you got to make your tests, you got to make your assignments. But some of those things probably are a little bit plasticky. Um, your housework is super, super plasticky um, until it gets to a, like a breaking point. So that's where like in the last one we talked about um, doing just a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Like don't wait until it's an all day project to clean the house. Try to do it just a little bit at a time. And, you know, as your kids get older, like, you know, Jack's old enough now that he's helping with the dishes and he's helping with cleaning his own room and his bathroom, the laundry and things doing like the that, la- doing, doing, yeah, I've started like he's getting laundry training because I'll be damned if this kid gets to be 18 and doesn't know how to cook for himself, clean for himself, and changing three shirts a day and not washing them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, you know, oh, I just did laundry last. Well, yeah, but you wore three pairs of pajama pants <laughs> and six shirts today, son. And your, your, your laundry, right. like he gets this see the cause of effect and, and, and help out with that. Right, yeah. And all of us want to spend all of our weekend just relaxing and reading and playing video mm-hmm. games or whatever. But, you know, it, just like going to work out, it helps to have a buddy that's there with you. Like, you know what? I don't want to do this either, but we're both going to feel better at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's another person to keep you accountable. And the one final thing is that I like to think about or like to put out there is that, we also are not constantly into things all the time. We kind of go through periods of enthusiasm and like, for example, when we first got into hiking, we want to hike all the time. Um, and we even forced it like, Hey, we're going to go hiking in a bitter, cold, rainy day. And that wasn't as much fun as it was. Like maybe that's something. Uh, so like winter time, we've identified that's the time where you play video games. That's the time when you become a couch potato. That's the time when you really catch up and binge movies and, and television shows spring and summer is the time where you go camping and hiking and do river floats. Fall is, you know, where it's like everything's got to see and you kind of got to rotate things in and out. Yeah. Uh, and just like you said, stressy pants, you know, getting your oil changed, filing your taxes, finding a new chiropractor. Those aren't weekly things you have to keep mm-hmm. up on. Those are once once in a while things. So maybe finding a, a, a way to keep yourself organized. Like me personally, I like to have a written down list as well as using my calendar a lot. And the combination of those two things. Yeah helps me keep myself accountable. But it's also tough because I see some people like they make it a point to spend like they to be happy. They need to spend four to six hours a day playing a video game or their kid is in one of those year round league club sports. Like you know, I could see like Jack, we, he did he had a swimming season like two and a half months. But there's kids that swim all year round and they have four or five practices a week and they have competitions every weekend. They have to fly to different states to do the big ones. And like if you choose to organize your 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 life around one of those activities, something like that, a child's particular passions and hobbies or your particular passions or hobbies, you're going to have to let other plates fall. And I think a lot of people are just un- like I made peace with the fact that I can't be a 24 seven gamer anymore. Like I grew out of that because I want to go out hiking. I want to go out doing these other things. I want to travel and I also want to have a successful career. So sometimes you just got to put that passion on a shelf until it's time again. And it's all, that's like the delicate, that's the, the, so that's a plastics plate, a plate of mine playing video games. And if I don't spin it for months and months and months, I, some of the, my, the light goes out of my eyes, you know? <laughs> so like sometimes it's important to get back to that, but like, that's something that I've decided that everyone's well, I can just put up on a shelf and it can be, it can, it can not spin at all. And I think everyone has to kind of go through their life and in inventory, what their plates are, which ones are porcelain, which ones are plastic, which ones maybe, Hey, do we even need to spin this anymore? 
you know um i'm not as into this as i used to be or my needs have changed and and kind of cut down on stuff because you only have so many hours a day you know Mm -hmm. let's move on to the scientist the issue i'd like your advice on is this how do you deal with questions about religion when raising a child in a secular household well i have some thoughts scientist a little background about my context. I was raised Catholic. My parents were pretty casual about it. We went to church every Sunday so my sister and I could go to the local Catholic school. I went through a phase in 10th through 11th grade where I got pretty into religion. I had drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Then senior year, my parents divorced, and that was the beginning of the end of my Catholic faith. I became disillusioned with everything, but especially the church and Catholicism. By my sophomore year in college, I was 100% done for the following reasons. One, I witnessed my mother getting shunned by so-called friends and being told by others that this was unacceptable uh, or the shunning was acceptable because she divorced my dad. Two, having a Catholic priest incessantly push for donation money from broke college students. Three, being told that taking birth control pins was a quote-unquote sin against human life. And four, my sister coming out as a lesbian and being told that she was an abomination because of who she loved. I felt like my eyes were finally open to the rampant hypocrisy and everything the Catholic faith stands for. And this was about 20 years ago, and now I'm disillusioned from all religions. I hear people talk about prayer and faith and God and going to church, any church, and I have a visceral reaction. Think of the shudder that side uh, show Bob has after he steps on rakes in The Simpsons. The, the, oh. I don't know if I'm an atheist or an agnostic or something else entirely, but I don't think people need religion to be good humans. When my daughter was born, I decided I didn't want to raise her in any religion because she could figure out what she believes on her own when she's old enough. My husband was also raised Catholic, but he was never really into it, so he has no problem with religion not being a big part of our lives. My daughter is now nine, and I'm not sure how I should deal with any questions she could have about religion, faith, God, etc., because I don't want to influence her with my negative opinions about it. I want her to figure things out for herself, but I don't want her to completely write off what could be an important experience for her just because I think religion is unnecessary and hypocritical. My feelings towards religion and God people are difficult to keep off my face and out of my tone of voice. How would you handle questions like this from a child given your background with religion? If your son expressed a desire to go to church, would you take them? Um, they I... also they also have a PS here. Okay. Uh, they said that this conversation happened in the spirit of time of them rough drafting this email and then proofreading it and sending it. The child came and, and uh, said uh, when they were driving around in their car, uh, Becky's family goes to such and such church. And the scientist says, oh, yeah, some families like to do that. Child, Becky doesn't like it very much. She says they have to get up early on Sunday to go. It sounds boring. And you don't go to church because they told Aunt Tegan and Aunt Sarah that they couldn't get married. Uh, nice pseudonym there. Yeah. Uh, and the scientist says, I never explicitly told her that. She must have picked it up on her own or somehow overheard me. And scientist says, yes, that's one reason I decided not to go anymore. And church can be boring sometimes, but people go to celebrate and be around others that believe the same things that they do. Child. But they tell people like Aunt Tegan and Sarah that they can't come. Scientist. My, uh, some churches, churches are like that. Yes. Child, that's so mean. I don't like it at all. I'm glad we don't go to church. Uh, so sounds like kids, man, you found uh, found the way to make it work. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I was the kind of person who was raised non-religious, if I can say that, you know, my my father, my father's my father's parents were religious enough that they went regularly to church and. My mother's parents are re- religious enough that they'll remind you regularly that they have a Bible next to their bed. And it's all very 
it's all very more in thought than in practice. Mm -hmm. Now I've gone to church a number of times and during like my formative years, because I was with a certain person that would take me or whatever. I was in high school and I had friends that were religious in the same way that your child is describing. And I would go with them and my mom would take me whenever I asked her to. But I really like the flexibility of not being persuaded either way. Mm -hmm. I can say that I was mostly raised agnostic, agnostic curious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I went to a Lutheran high school for fuck's sake. It, It was those were all decisions that I made on my part. So I I would caution you not to think that you have to imply some sort of bias into your child. Mm-hmm. In fact, the more you try to insist that your way is the right way, the more they're going to be pushed into, I don't know, Catholicism or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Something harmful to them because mm-hmm. that's the way the kids are. I liked being raised just with the flexibility and the ability. I think that the the way we're raising Jack now if he's got some sort of obligation or something he wants to do, we'll encourage it, but not, uh, we'll encourage him to explore it, but we won't encourage him to do it. I think that helps. Mm-hmm. And I, I come up from a completely different perspective because as a lot of you probably know, I was like forceful, for, forcefully indoctrinated from the time, like basically the time I could remember about a particular extreme form of religion and it was the right way and everything else was, the broad and spacious path that leads to destruction, as they say. Um, and unfortunately, my son has got one foot in that door and uh, one foot uh, one foot in that door and one foot out of it. Um, I think mostly feet out of the door at this point. But, you know, he's a minor and his, his mom has rights and privileges as far as what she uh, instructs him religiously. Um, but I've had to deal with this. Like I was trying to be pretty laissez-faire. Like I never pushed Christmas. Uh, I never pushed birthdays when he was old enough to start talking and asking questions. And he's like, you know, what's this whole Christmas thing? And I'm like, well, some families like doing this. Some people think it's a way to honor the the birth of a God. Some people think it's a nice time to spend with your family and think about how much we love and cherish it. And some people don't like it at all. And, you know, one part of our family feels the one way and part of the family feels the other. And, you know, one of the things about cool things about growing up and developing to a person is we get to make those decisions on our, on our own. And he took an interest in some of that stuff. So I started slowly and, you know, like, well, if he wants to check out Christmas, I'll get a Christmas tree and check it out. Um, this was seen as indoctrinating him, of course. But the, the key thing is, is this something I learned from my sister because she struggles with, with her kids because, you know, she lets um, her children see their grandmother who's in the same religion. So they get a lot of confusing questions, too. And she taught me that, like, you should most of the time respond to their questions with a question of your own. Like when they say some people think church is bad or like, you know, some people don't like church. What do you think? Um, or you, you should come back with like, well, I don't know. So-and-so, what do you think? Um, and let them see what they say. And then you can either reinforce that if you agree with it and be like, wow, that's really, that's a really smart or clever or kind way to think about it. Or you can be like, well, a lot, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people say that and, and that's an opinion a lot of people hold. But, you know, the way I look at it is blah, 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 blah. 
And I think one thing would help you, um, and I don't, I don't want this to come across as an attack because God knows this is something I've struggled with, but like, um, if you really do have that like involuntary shudder reaction when you're dealing with religious people, and I don't know if you're talking about like all religious people or like casually religious people or like super duper offensively religious people, I feel like that's something that maybe if you could work on because we live in a very religious society and like our kids pick up on that. People pick up on that. Um, and I think it's possible to like have a basic respect for people's spiritual lives and their beliefs without ascribing to it. And also without it, like, you know, being a big offensive deal. Right. This same type of acceptance that you hope to attain is what you want to display. Yeah. And I, and I get it. It's hard. Cause like I have been hard put by religion and I do not practice this perfectly. Like I, to this day, I have a hard time dealing with very, very religious people. Um, but I think it's something that we can all work on um, to be kind of like, you know, better, better neighbors. You know, Fred Rogers is about Christian. He's all right, guy. It's our whole, it's our whole bit here. Yeah. And I know like it, it, this is something like, you know, uh, some of this tra- trauma goes deep and the anger and betrayal and hurt, especially when you got gay family members that have been ostracized or excommunicated. And I know how that. I don't know how that feels, but I know how it feels to be excommunicated by people you love. And it's really hard to deal with. But I think part of healing from that trauma is coming to some kind of place of acceptance. And so that's maybe something you could do that would help out your your child, too. That doesn't look like it doesn't feel like so much you have a chip on your shoulder about religion. But, you know, you've given a sober look and you understand why people like it and why it's attractive to some people. But it's just not for you. Um, And that is going to, I think, do a lot to teach your child kind of how to move about the world and, and engage with it, too. But I hope, like I said, I don't I don't want to put that as a big criticism because I can totally see it being a struggle. And it, it's something that I don't think I'll ever get all the way there. I don't think I'll ever be Zen about religion. No, but. it's something we're all working on and we can certainly relate to. And that's. We wish the best for you and us. Yeah, but there's some some weird tricks maybe you can try with that relationship. Uh, and uh, appreciate you writing in. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We want to thank all of our Fred Level patrons. Angelo Morano, Mark Hahn, A.V. Rao, the god of Krypton. That and, is an awesome name. And Kira Grusho. If you'd like to be thanked by name at the end of the podcast, you can become a Fred Level patron at patreon.com slash swizzbold. We also do a monthly live stream for all of our patrons, no matter what level you subscribe at. Make sure to sign up before April to have your name read on all of our podcasts and the ability to ask questions during the live streams. Next week, we'll be back for another Three Right Turns, Aaron's political show. And the week after that, we will be back for another episode of One Weird Trick. If you need advice or weird tricks, then you can email us at owt at swizzbold.com. Find us on all of social media at swizzbold. And you can talk with us and fellow fans at... Reddit.com slash r slash Don't forget the World Wide Web part in the beginning. That's the most important part. And regardless of how you feel in religion, we can all get behind the concept of the god of Krypton. He's real. She's real. Remember your circles of in- trauma. She has an impact on your life. She cares about you deeply. And anytime you look back in the kryptonite sand and see only one footprints, she's been carrying you. <laughs>